0: Welcome to the Alaska Land Podcast, stories from the Fairbanks North Star Boroughs, past, present, and future with your host, Mayor Bryce Ward. Each episode, we'll sit down with Fairbanks' most interesting characters for a fascinating conversation about where we've been and where we're going. And now, Mayor Ward. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Alaska Land Podcast, where we talk past, present, and future and just everything Fairbanks and the interior. Uh, We're here again with Joan from the Alaska Pioneers Museum, and we're here to talk about trash, uh, which uh, you wouldn't think it'd be terribly exciting, but uh, we have a long history of trash here (laughs) Uh, from from the very first day of folks stepping foot off the riverboat. Uh, Joan, maybe uh, give everyone a brief introduction for yourself again, and uh, if they're just joining us new, um, and then let's talk trash.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, I never thought I would be on the air talking trash with the borough mayor, but uh, (laughs) this is fun. (laughs) Um, So I'm Joan Skillbred, and I'm a member of the Pioneers of Alaska. I'm a board member here for the Pioneer Museum. I'm also a board member for the Friends of the Tanana Valley Railroad Museum. And I uh, like history, and I like to share history. I love researching and learning about stuff and then sharing what I learn. Um, I do the uh, news minor inserts, page three every Monday, those little historical articles, I do those for the pioneers. And um, I also do once a month an online historical talk with Dave Pruse the last Wednesday of every month on Problem Corner. And we talk about a wide variety of historical subjects. And one of my favorites is this one, the story of trash. Um, it's our history of trash in Fairbanks.
0: So, what what piqued your interest uh, about this particular subject, this maybe dirty subject, trashy subject?
1: <laughs> um, I was working on a history nugget, and um, that's a submission today. They're submitted to the News Miner. Originally, when I started doing those, they went to um, one of the radio stations, and they were read on a local show every Monday morning. And I ran across this really interesting article about the tin can riffles. And there was this big kerfuffle that went all the way to Washington, D.C. about this problem that we had here in Fairbanks. And this was a really old article. You know, this was like 1905 that this came from. And they were throwing um, trash in the river and it, the trash in those days, you know, was a little different in composition than what we have today. And one major component was tin cans because everybody ate canned food. And these tin cans would go in the river and they would float down the china and they would hit the mouth of the china. And when they hit the tanana, they would fill up with silt and they would cement together into these concretion silt Uh, infused cans and they would make like these sandbars in the river and all the steamboats were wooden hulled and it would just rip up the hulls on these boats and the riverboat captains you know they don't want to have their boats damaged and so they started complaining and they said we have to do something about these people putting the trash in the rivers it's causing problems with our boats and if you can't get boats up here you can't get supplies so they took it up with um judge wickersham and he said well that's a federal issue it's a navigable waterway issue it has to go to washington dc because everything was controlled by the federal government we were a territory in those days so it went to washington dc And the Secretary of War had to weigh in on this and make a law about throwing trash in the river, and it would be punishable. And then the federal marshal could get involved and jail anybody caught throwing into the river. So um, it had to go to Washington, D.C., and then come all the way back up here. And finally, they somewhat had that resolved. There was no more wholesale dumping into the river, but there continued to be clandestine dumping. Um, You know, there's always lawbreakers, (laughs) (laughs) rebels.
0: (laughs) Folks that want to throw their trash out there.
1: Yes, and so that article, I just thought that was just, oh my gosh, you know? Wow, that's really interesting. Well, Well, then what did they do with their trash after that, you know, and so I just had to know more and, So I did some uh, other looking at trash issues, and I went, oh, I need to do a whole show about this because the story was just amazing. And, you know, um, you start out with a boat landing on the banks, you know, coming up the river and kicking E.T. Barnett and his merry band out onto the river bank and saying, well, this is as far as we go. You're out. Here you go. And it pulls away, And all of a sudden you start putting people someplace and they're going to do what? They're gonna cut wood and they're gonna make trash. And it goes (laughs) right from that first day. And as Fairbanks grew into a municipality, now you have a lot of people here and you have this issue. What are you gonna do with it? You can only let every man do what he chooses individually for so long and then you have to publicly address it. And it was just fascinating how that evolved from every man for himself into an organized system of dealing with uh, sanitation.
0: And, and so where did that first lie? Was that with the city when it was first incorporated, or uh, how, how did that happen?
1: Um, well, it, it, the first official, part would be with the federal marshal, and that had to do with maintaining the navigability of the river system. So he he was enforcing that. So then after that, well, you go dump it someplace else. So people were dumping trash in low spots around the city and filling in these low spots. You don't want low spots. You just know, because the they trash. collect water and, you know, all of that. So they would just fill them with trash. And what was considered to be out of town, of course, you wouldn't do it right in town. You would do it out of town. Well, Fairbanks was like a whole lot smaller initially, you know, just a couple streets. But gradually, you know, it grew bigger and bigger. And pretty soon these dump sites start to become part of the town, start to become a problem. People start complaining. Um The biggest one that they had of these low spots was where the parking lot for the uh, Fifth Avenue Center is for the school district. That parking lot is sitting on a big pile of trash.
0: (laughs) That was a low spot. (laughs) There was a big low spot.
1: And for many years, that's where a lot of people hauled their trash. But when you start talking hauling trash, you have to put yourself... You can't think of it in terms of how we do things today. Now, you got to think of it in terms that... Okay, you're on foot. Most people didn't have a horse. You know, they lived in this core area. Um, they were on foot. How far are you going to haul your trash to dump it?
0: Not very and far. And how much trash are you going <laughs> to
1: haul? So, you know, to look at it, you kind of have to, first of all, look at the composition of the trash. Uh, trash back then was very different in nature than the trash that we make today. And the amount of trash generated per person was much, much less than what we make today. Everything today is throwaway. Back then, you could not afford to throw hardly anything away. So most of the supplies, the packaging, all of that stuff was recycled over and over and over again until it really, literally was trash. Um, if if it was a stick, it could go in the stove. It could be burned. Paper was burned. Um, glass was recycled until it was broken up. You know, um, glass containers were very um, sought after. Uh, people would buy them. Kids would go around and pick them up if they were discarded, and they could sell them. Um, they had cans, tin cans. There's limited use for those, so that comprised a big part of trash. And scrap wood would comprise a big part of trash if it was to be hauled off. And that's like, um, so when you chop wood, you know, you've got that, that, those wood flakes that you make, that would be considered scrap wood. Not really suitable for burning in your stove. They would use that for fill. Um, bits of string that were weak, You know, that would be trash. If it was still good, it would get reused. Um, Furniture, if it was busted up and it was really in bad shape, you know, then it would become trash. Clothing, if it was really rotted out, it would become trash. But I mean, stuff was pretty far gone. It would get reused. It would get resold. Um, So that was different than today. I mean, we just throw good stuff away today. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the dumpsters, you know, um, where I live in two rivers, uh, we call that the shopping center, (laughs) (laughs) you know? So, um, and we had a system where the secondhand goods would get picked up by a city scavenger who made, they made their living off of these secondhand goods and they would come and pick it up and, you know, they would give you some money and then they would resell it or you could pay them just to come and haul it all off, depending on what it was, um, so you, you had that going on, but the stuff that was going to get dumped, would it would have to go somewhere. Some of it could get burned. They would burn trash in piles in their backyards, and then you would have this pollution in the spring from the runoff. You also had wet trash and dry, dry trash. Dry, dry trash was, of course, dry. Wet trash was your slops from your slop buckets. Um, a honey bucket, if you used it, uh, sometimes that could be dumped on the right out on the open ground, and as a municipality would develop, you know you would frown on that because you would start having health issues mm-hmm. and we had um, health officers in Fairbanks that took care of that because we had problems with typhoid and um, other uh, filth related diseases, and so we had to protect our water. Or drinking water. Um, so the the wet slops and some of the dry slops generally would go in the backyard. They would get burned, but when breakup comes, think about what happens when all that water is just standing around, and then it mixes, and it ends up going into the river, and it gets soaked back in. and people had wells. They didn't have city water in the early days, and their wells would become contaminated. And so this became more and more of an issue as the town grew. So with that, they decided, okay, we need a central dumping area. People should not be dumping these things in the city area, the confines of the city. So they established the first official city dump, and it lies roughly between where the Dog Park and the Carlson Center are today. And if Uh you float down the river, as you float along that area there, you can see bits of that old trash, you know, sloughing out of the river bank. And that that was in use for, oh, I don't know, you know, about 15 years. And the trash was hauled, it was dumped on top of the ground, and then they would burn it periodically to reduce the volume. And that helped to get rid of the, you know, the refuse problem within the city confines. Um, Another thing that the city did to help address this issue was they had the annual spring cleaning, you know, and that's nothing new, that goes all the way back. And they would do a campaign and encourage people to work together and clean up your yard and paint your house and make Fairbanks look nice. And (laughs) we did that back then too. And people really got on the bandwagon. Of course, you always have the few holdouts. who I shouldn't have to do anything. I like my mess, and I'm going to keep it. Um, But for the most part, they got most people convinced to use the city dump. However, they ended up having to put a caretaker at the dump. Um, We know with the... uh, the transfer stations our dumpster sites around the borough today. We've had to staff those mm-hmm. and for the same reasons, you know, it's you, if you just let people just dump whatever they want, wherever they want, it creates problems and having a person there helps to keep that dumping a little more organized and classified. And, you know, um, it reduces the bigger problems that come out of that disorganization so they they hired somebody the city did to be the guy that lives at the dump and he he had a shack there that he lived in and he was the overseer and they had a gate and you would haul your trash and you could go through the gate during open hours and he would show you where to dump your your trash great except most people didn't have a car How are you going to get your trash to the dump? And most people work. This was the the man of the house had to haul the trash. That was not the woman's job. That was not the kid's job. That was the man's job. And how is a guy going to get the trash to the dump? And especially, how is he going to get the trash to the dump when he has to work? And in those days, Sunday was your day off. And guess what? The dump master, that was his day off too. So the dump was closed on Sunday.
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's funny, because the more things change, the more they stay the same. Oh, yes. These are some of the same issues we deal with today.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, that's everybody's day off. I'm the guy in charge of the dump. It's my day off too. You're discriminating against me if you tell me to have another day off. So the gates would be closed. And what would you do if you just lugged two, uh, two trash cans or one trash can in a wheelbarrow all the way, you, you went, uh, let's say four blocks with that, all the way to that dump site and you got there and you saw that gate was closed, what would, what would you do?
0: Well, the responsible person to me would take it back to the house.
1: Yes, what do you think most people did?
0: (laughs) They probably dumped it in front of the gate. They
1: dumped it in front of the gate. (laughs) And come Monday, well, this started becoming such a problem that come Monday morning, the trash would be all in front of the gate, lining the street and going down First Avenue. Well, technically Second Avenue. First Avenue kind of turns into Second Avenue somewhere (laughs) around in there. But... It would be lining down the street. And then the city was having to pay people to go and pick up all of this trash because the gates were closed and you could, they wouldn't accept trash on Sunday. Oh my gosh. For months, the city council fought and fought and fought over this issue. And finally, one of them stood up and said, enough is enough. Either we change everybody else's day off or the dump master is going to have to have another day off. And finally, they all got behind it and they told them, you know, okay, we're changing your day off. And if you don't like it, you can leave. We'll just get somebody else to do the job, which is what they probably should have done in the first place. (laughs) Um, Gradually, they were able to get uh, dump trucks. But, you know, you had to wait for that technology. They didn't have it initially, you know. So, um, that dump got established in the, I think right around 1920 and you had these old rickety Model T trucks, you know, they don't haul very much and they, they gradually developed this system, but developing this trash hauling system, like today you put your trash out at the curb, they come around, you know what day collection day is for your street and, You put your trash out and they come and they pick it up and they haul it off and it disappears and you have your little empty cans and you put them back. And it's wonderful. Well, just to get that system established was interesting. They, um, so they, they started trying to implement this system and people were suspicious of it. And well, I'm not paying the taxes to have my trash hauled. I'm not gonna do that. And those are the guys that didn't want to walk their trash to the dump either. You know, they wanted to dump it in their yard. And there was all this battling back and forth for quite a few years over who had the right to hold on to their trash and who didn't. And finally, the city council said, no, you're going to pay the taxes and we are going to get everybody in this system because we're not we're going to outlaw trash dumping in your yard which is, you know, it's too bad they didn't do it sooner. But, you know, everybody has rights. Um, so there was a lot of battling over that to establish that system.
0: So it's it's really interesting that, you know, the, the city system that we have now, I mean, goes back to the 1920s and earlier, uh, and, yes. and even the payment structure, which is part of your property taxes in the city of Fairbanks, Yes. Um, well, actually, no, there's a separate fee. I think that po- folks pay for Fairbanks. It's the solid waste mm-hmm. collection district where it's part of your property taxes, Yeah. but uh, this issue of y- waste, living
1: in the borough, you still, you're paying taxes on your property in the borough mm-hmm. f- f- to deal with solid waste. Right. Yes. Through you, our transfer You have sites. to have a management system. If you have a municipality, you have to deal with it. Um, you can't have everybody just dumping in their yard.
0: Right, or dumping in the river. I mean, that was a, as you know, as you mentioned, that was a big issue back then. and um,
1: It still is today.
0: still is today, yeah.
1: So there was a lot of clandestine dumping that went on, even after we had this dump established, and all the roadways leading out of town had garbage, you know. Like, as soon as you got to the edge of town, you hit the garbage. And for, you know, strode out... For some distance, you know, it would just be trash, 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 and it would gradually thin out, you know, within a couple miles. So we were surrounded by these trash corridors. And, you know, people started complaining. And these were people who didn't want to haul to the dump because they hauled after hours when the dump was closed. It wasn't open all the time. And they didn't want to be inconvenienced by meeting somebody else's hours. And so they would just load it up in the family car, and they would go out and just dump it. And this was a problem going all the way into the 60s. And we were a very trashy-looking place.
0: I can imagine if all your main arteries into the community are covered in trash. Yes. That sounds awful. (laughs) Yes.
1: And and I remember growing up... um, When I was a small child, trash was something you didn't keep in your car, you know. We don't want that in the car. You chucked it out the window, you know. And it wasn't until the 1970s that uh, nationwide as a country, we started becoming more um, aware and we had public service campaigns to make us all more aware of you know, the trash around us and clean water and clean air and, and all of those things. And we really did a lot to clean up the the nation and especially Alaska. I remember a lot of trash, seeing it along the roadsides. And then, you know, by the time um, the 1970s rolled around, I mean, I remember my dad saying, OK, we're going to go out and pick up trash, you know. Yep. And we would go out and do our part during spring cleanup. And, you know, uh, Fairbanks is really good about that. We don't see a lot of trash on our roadways after the May cleanup.
0: It manages to build up over the winter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we do, yeah, I mean, cleanup day is definitely a big part of our community. I can, it's been a big part of uh, my childhood and even now. Um, mm. we take the kids out and they think it's great fun to fill trash bags.
1: Yes, and you teach them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the... um there was a big consequence to all of this dumping that we had. We had this open dump and these river boats, this was a problem all over Alaska. Um, rats were on these river boats and rats love dumps. And we had taken and backfilled with trash all along like First Avenue. When you're going along First Avenue, you're driving on trash. Um, We shored up for erosion control along the riverbank and widened the riverbank along there by using trash, this early day trash. And it made like the perfect environment for these rats. And they had this whole Swiss cheese network along the riverbank from downtown all the way down to that dump. And we're talking thousands of rats.
0: Rats in Fairbanks, I can't imagine.
1: And these rat (laughs) infestations came in waves. So the rats would start taking over the town. They were getting in people's homes. They were everywhere. People, of course, you know, I mean, the squawking really starts and, you know... um, uh, when it comes to municipalities, those that squawk get the attention, and you know. And when the housewives really start squawking, you know, I mean, you'll do anything, you know. Please, we got to do something. We got to stop this, and um, so they would they would go, okay, we need to deal with this, and they would try to do a rat control project and it would knock down the population and then it would take a little while and it would build back up and the whole town would be overrun again. And so we had these waves of these rat infestations in Fairbanks. Um, one guy, he, he proposed taking um, his car and he hooked a couple hoses up to the tailpipe And he would run them into these rat holes in the river bank and put the car in neutral, you know, and stomp on the gas. And he was going to (laughs) asphyxiate all of these rats in the holes. Of course, it didn't work. um, There was some trapping of rats. Uh, The problem is that when you trap or when you poison, uh, you have household pets. You know, it's a great risk to them and and somewhat to wildlife, although Fairbanksons back in those days really didn't care that much about the local wildlife, but they did care about their dogs and cats and so they would they would they would go, no, no poison, no poison but it, once the rats got bad enough, they would do anything bring on the poison and in the thirties, it was so bad that they we brought up we paid to bring the two. Uh, leading experts in the country. And it was two ladies. And they brought these two ladies up here and they were the top-notch rat killers in the whole country. And they brought the poison and um, chloride bromide, bromide something it was called that they used, and they brought the poison up and they studied what we had and the best way to use the poison with the least amount of risk. And these ladies, this was so big and so important that they put these ladies' photos on the front page of the Daily News minor. Um because they were saving the town. You know, it was, that was unheard of. And I just thought that was so interesting when I saw, oh my gosh, two women, great big pictures of them on the front page. Wow. And that it was women, you know, who would think, but they came up. Saving
0: the town from rats. Saving the town from rats. I still can't get over that.
1: (laughs) Yes. So finally, after years of this dump, it grew and grew and grew and, you know, they would light it on fire and it would burn down. But then, you know, the, the fires don't get rid of everything. And the the last time we had a major rat infestation, you know, the trash was eroding into the river. It, it the the city limits had expanded, you know, and this this was out at the end of the very end of Weeks Field, and people were, um, uh, you know, it, it starting to become they were living around it. The people that lived around it didn't like it. They didn't like the smell, and then there's all the trash, you know, like that falls out of people's vehicles going to the dump site. And that was causing problems. I mean, we still have that today too. So they decided that we needed a modern landfill where trash was buried. And nationwide, it was really interesting. This was ongoing across the United States. This was not just Fairbanks. So this open dumping and then burning was going on everywhere. And the federal government started allocating money to deal with these problems and um, to help develop these municipalities, and we became eligible for some of that money. So by 1963, we got our new dump, which is where the dump is today, Uh, I'm sorry, sanitary landfill, and it's out, you know, out in the South Cushman area, out near the river, and Um, we got rid of our old dump, So we did the last uh, rat mitigation program, and we brought in yet another expert, the leading expert in the country. We brought this man up, and he looked at our rats, and he said, okay, he said, "Uh, we need 1,500 pounds of rat poison, and I'm going to get rid of every one of them. And he did And all the rats were, after they were dead, they hired uh, guys to come in with bulldozers and they buried all that was left on that dump. So they would start at the edge of the dump and they would dig a deep trench and they would roll trash into it and they would cover it up, compact it, and then cover it up. And then they would dig another trench next to that, roll the trash in, and they worked their way across the entire dump. Fred Huprich was one of those guys who was uh, hired to bury the trash, and he told me a really interesting story about that. Um, he's a pioneer, and he's in his 90s now. And I said, "Well, you did that. You got to tell me about that." I was I was so interested, and he said that um, he said, "Well, the thing I remember the most is that it was a couple of weeks after the rats had died, and these rats had were bloated." Ooh. And he said he couldn't believe how many there were and the popping of them under the dozer tracks. And he said he'll never forget that. And he said you could feel them, you know. And he said it was just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these rats. And I I couldn't believe it. You know, I had trouble envisioning that. But that's how many there were. Oh, wow. Yes. And when they poisoned them... They mixed 1,500 pounds of rat poison down at the city garage in a cement mixer with cornmeal. And they hauled it over and spread it out at the dump and then along key sites, you know, where the rats were traveling back and forth. And that was how they got rid of them.
0: Wow, and, th- and that was the end of rats in Fairbanks, right? That
1: was the end of rats in Fairbanks.
0: Wow. Yes. That yes. is...
1: And if you ask some of the pioneers here, you know, cause while I was studying this, I go and I ask people, you know, do you know anything about this? And a lot of these older pioneers go, oh yeah, I remember those rats, you know, and then they, they, they all have stories about these rats. And I thought that that was really um, just so interesting. I loved hearing what they had to say. And in Nome, Of course, Nome had, this was in communities all over the United States, not just in Alaska, but in Nome, they were having this problem. And, you know, Nome is its own kind of place. And they had a guy there who was um, studying rats, and he was affiliated with the University of Alaska, I believe, in some way or another. But anyway, he had a project going, and he was studying them. And he needed um, dead rats for his uh, studies. And he was having trouble getting enough on his own. And he needed a lot of rats in a short amount of time. So he was friends with the people that had the movie theater. And they had a special matinee. And the price of admission was a dead rat. <laughs> and so he got all his rats he needed. And, you know, an afternoon, <laughs> all the kids brought him in. And I thought, oh, where else but Nome would you have that?
0: An economy based on rats. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And here in Fairbanks, they, had, um, they bounty hunted. And I know a couple people told me, oh, yeah, when they were teenage boys, they would go and you could shoot rats. And if you brought in a dead rat, they would pay a bounty on them. Wow. And you could make pocket money. And I said, oh. Well, pocket money, you know. Yeah, for cigarettes mostly. You know, in those <laughs> days, everybody smoked. But yeah, so they had um, pocket uh, bounties on them.
0: That's amazing, and that and that's the history of. Trash in Fairbanks, at least it brings us to somewhat modern day uh, with the uh, the landfill um, out there on South Cushman. And
1: and now, you know, we line, we dig a pit and we line it and we bury the trash. Mm-hmm. And so it's not open to the elements. I mean, can you imagine? We wouldn't, it wouldn't be just ravens can or rats. Can you imagine the ravens? Mm-hmm you know
0: yeah and that's uh, i mean that's a big concern and yeah you know that's uh being able to cover that waste i mean that was kind of a revolutionary thing at the time uh, yeah
1: it was a tough sell too um but because it came with federal bucks behind it you know it it there was there was a lot of debate but it was a lot shorter lived than some of the prior debates mm-hmm. usually issues within the city that i've read about where it was going to be floated 100 percent on the backs so of the taxpayers oh my gosh it took a long time to get a new idea implemented uh, nobody wants to spend money on anything and you know they didn't want to pay taxes they didn't see the value in that right but um the federal money if if you could get federal money it mixed in there that kind of uh, greased the wheels a little bit you <laughs> might say
0: uh, well, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? I, yeah, it's really yeah. interesting to know how some of these things influence the the way we see the world today.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you can look at pictures of Fairbanks and early day pictures. You know, I I, I thought, well, if we had all this trash, surely there must be pictures. But when you look at early pictures, you have to train your eye to look not at what the intended subject was. But if you start looking, you see in these pictures, you see all this trash, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, the whole town was just full of litter. It was everywhere in the early days. And there's newspaper articles about, you know, like in the summer, these dust devils would come up and it would pick up all this loose ambient trash and it would carry it way up in the air. And it would cause such a spectacle, you know, there would be newspaper articles about it, written about it. And it, it picked it up and it deposited it over in this other area and people were mad about it because now they had more trash. And it was just funny. And the attitudes were interesting about whose responsibility is it. So let's say that um, you have this school and out in front of the school, on the street, is trash. Uh, Whose responsibility is it to pick up that trash? Is it your responsibility? Is it my responsibility? Is it the responsibility of the staff of the school? Is it the responsibility of the students? Whose responsibility is it in this municipal area to pick up this ambient litter?
0: I, I don't know if I have a good answer on that one. Uh, in The school, possibly? Maybe?
1: In those days, it was viewed the responsibility of the person that deposited it.
0: Well, and that intrasable. was the
1: pervasive attitude. And to me, when I read that, that was just shocking. Well, you're never going to get anywhere with that mentality, you know? I mean, oh, my gosh, what were they thinking, you know? But I'm looking at that through the eyes of, a person who grew up in a modern society but back then those systems weren't in place mm-hmm. and they didn't have public education on things like that and the the dirty SOB that dropped that bag of trash on the street is the person responsible for it and he needs to come back and pick that up and The thought never went further along to, well, we all know that he's never going to come back and pick it up. (laughs) So now whose job is it? It took many years to get to that point that, okay, that's not working for us. We need to do something else. And it shocked me how long it took for that to happen. And, you know, so the trash just piled up and piled up and piled up.
0: And, you know, ultimately forced some of these issues to happen where the city council had those discussions and the community came together and said, well, first we're going to have it here. And then we moved it to where it is now. And, uh, you know, sometime in the future, we're going to have a conversation about where the next landfill goes. If you were
1: on the city council and you got up and spoke about any organized way of dealing with that ambient litter that put the city behind it and being responsible for it. You were not reelected. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> you know they they wanted they wanted city council members who were not going to spend a dime, and who were not going to make it the city's responsibility to do anything but conduct fair elections. You know, yep. Un- Unless you had public health. You know, people if a lot of people were getting sick, then people could understand. Okay, we need to do something. But it took emergencies to get to that. And, you know, so th- that all evolved very, very slowly. And we're so fortunate to live today. We are. We're very fortunate. And, you know, um, knowing this about our history, you know, I I kind of tend to lean more towards supporting the services that we have rather than trying to tear them down. They're very important.
0: They are and they're you know what allow us to be able to have the community we have today. trash is an important thing uh, for us to be able to manage and it sounds like we've got a very long history of that here in the town yeah,
1: and we keep making more and more of it. I mean the per person amount of trash that we make um, grows exponentially as time goes on, and um, you know that's that's something that if you're going to have it if, if you want the right to make a lot of trash, then you have to have a way to deal with that trash that's you know, going to be responsible and not pose these health hazards by burying trash. We don't have rats, which is, you know, really important. That is yes, (laughs) yes, it would, it might be helpful to not make as much trash too, but
0: well, there's definitely, I think a lot of room for us to make improvement there. So, um,
1: well they had recycling in the early days. We actually exported recycled goods. Um, during the teens, uh, during World War One, natural resources were in such short supply, they had these national um, calls for recycled goods. And so metals, um, uh, brass, uh, some, some types of steel, some glass, uh, they called for recycling. And they even had a program here in Fairbanks where they successfully sent out a couple barge loads of our waste to the lower 48 to be recycled. But the problem was, is that by the time you get it down there, you've got so much invested in the shipping costs that it's actually a money loser. Mm -hmm. And so you can't, it wasn't economically feasible. And we have that same issue today. We can't, you know, everybody's good intentions. Oh, we need to recycle and, you know, but where do you send it? And the cost of that doesn't make it feasible.
0: It's very much some of the same issues we're dealing with today.
1: hmm Yes. Um, there were some creative uses for our goods. Uh, there were a couple people who took tin cans and filled them with dirt and extended their property along the waterfront by a substantial amount And then there was a big brouhaha at the city council meetings on, they felt that they should not be taxed on that extra land, that extra square footage of property that they created because they said it wasn't real property. It was fake property. (laughs) Um, Eventually they lost that battle. But you know, I whenever I go along and I look at the the waterfront property, in Fairbanks. I think it was over in Island Homes where they did some of that.
0: I wonder how many tin cans are buried in the bank.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. And at one time it was said, um, it was a newspaper article about it that within the city area, you could not dig a hole and not find the remains of cans. Nowhere in this city could you dig a hole and not find those can remains. Um, it was, it, it was everywhere
0: everywhere trash was everywhere well yes. fortunately we found a much better way to deal with these things um and joan i really appreciate you spending the time uh today to talk about this issue this, to talk about trash <laughs> here in fairbanks and if folks are interested in finding some more information encourage them to come down to the pioneers museum mm-hmm. uh to talk with you and um and and you've got presentations along these lines uh yes. with trash to and you've got pictures Oh, uh, yes. A whole, a whole shebang. Yes, uh, I, I, and I'll do it.
1: these again in the future. And I, we advertise them on online calendars. I do them for various groups in various locations. COVID's kind of put a little bit of a slowdown on that. But, yeah, you just see, if you see it advertised, go watch it. Come and see it. It's, Come on down. Check it out. Yes. <laughs> yes.
0: Well, thanks for your time this afternoon. And thanks, everyone, for listening uh, to the podcast today. Fair um, Thanks for listening to the Alaska Land Podcast. We hope you found today's conversation enlightening. For more episodes, listen on your mobile device through your favorite podcast app or watch at youtube.com slash Fairbanks North Starborough.